The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. My name is my name is Josh Blunt. I'm the pastor here. You you saw my lovely wife a few moments ago, and I know what you're probably thinking right now. How did he get her? And don't and you're laughing because you were thinking it. I know. Um, but I think the same thing every day, and I'm very blessed to have her in my life. But I'm also, it's, it, like she said, it's such an honor to look out and see so many people that we know, but I also see a lot of faces that I don't know, and I would like to get to know you today. So after the service is over, if you go out into the lobby area, uh, me and Sarah will be out there towards the left, and we would love to meet you, to shake your hand, and get to know you and your family and just welcome you. Um, I'd also like to take just a moment to thank a, a special group of people. We call them our new song launch team, and it's a group of about 50 people that make what you see today happen. Um, Obviously, we're in a school this morning, and this doesn't look like this when we get here. It looks quite, quite different, and we have a bunch of people that show up before the sun comes up and start setting this place up and getting it ready so that we can host you and host the Lord and have a great service. So I just want to take a moment and thank them and just give them a hand. We're so proud of our, our launch team. Thank you. And as you leave today, you'll see, you'll see them in kids' classrooms teaching, you'll see them ushering. I just encourage you to just tell them thank you for, for serving and doing what they're doing. Um, as I was coming out, you saw that video, it was talking about our next series that's coming uh, up in the next few weeks. It's called The Things That We Love. And it's a series about the things that me and you as Christians are called to love. Now, many of these things that we're going to talk about are kind of directly in opposition to the things that the world would tell you to love. But how do you know that's probably not the worst thing in the world, right? Because the world is kind of messed up sometimes. And so in this series, we want to just kind of go through some of those things that God has called us as Christians to love. Because I believe when we understand and live the way God's called us to live, with the power he's called us to live with, we can have the kind of life, the kind of purpose, the kind of joy, the kind of peace that he's called us to live. So it's going to be awesome. We start that next week. We would love for you to come back and be a part of that series with us. Uh, and I also want to encourage you to invite a friend, have somebody come with you, and uh, we, we welcome them too, all right? All right, well, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Genesis 1. We're going to keep this simple today. Genesis 1, it's the very beginning of your Bible. If you're new to a Bible, just open it up and go a few pages and you'll see Genesis 1. And today I want to talk to you about the story of God and your role in the story. Because I believe this today. I believe that God looks at everyone in this room today. And I believe he says this over you and over your heart. I believe he says, have I got a story for you? And when he makes that statement, he doesn't say it with a question mark behind it. No, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's a good one. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to start. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this moment. God, how incredible this is for me. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in the next few moments. Lord, we know your word is a holy thing. And we present ourselves before it this morning, and we ask you to speak to us through it. Lord, I ask you to use me today to communicate your word in a clear and concise way. And God, we welcome you into this place. We welcome you to speak to us, to to work with us, to work on us, and to help us become all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I've got a confession to make today. Um, First of all, this is a cool day for us because obviously we're launching a church. This is also one of my favorite days of the year because today is the first Sunday of the NFL season. Any football fans in here today? Yes. Okay. And, and I have to, I've got to, I'm going to continue to bear my soul here. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Any Cowboys fans in here? A few? Okay. 
Well, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, but it wasn't always this way. Um, But I grew up in the home of a father who was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, My dad grew up and, you know, when he was coming of age in the 60s and 70s is when the Cowboys were were really a good team. They were doing a lot of good stuff. They had guys like Roger Staubach and and Drew Pearson and and Bob Lilly and these guys that, you know, they were going to the Super Bowl, it seems like, every other year and playing and sometimes winning it. And so my dad was this huge, huge Cowboys fan. And so on November 4th, 1979, my mother gave birth to a little boy named me, named Josh. And, and from that moment, my dad began to work to turn me into a Cowboys fan. And I know this because I've seen the photo albums. And if you look at our home photo albums, you're going to find a lot of pictures of me, like with a pacifier that says, Go Cowboys, and a onesie that has the star on it. And as I grew up, like for my third birthday, I got a full-on Cowboys uniform, and I didn't even care. But I just keep getting this Cowboys gear. And so I got a little bit older, and I started to like football. But, you know, sometimes when stuff is kind of forced down your throat, you tend to resist, right? And so I kind of found myself there. Um, I was rebelling against my dad. And so what I decided to do was I would like whatever team was playing against the Cowboys that week. I would root for them with all my little heart and cheer them on. And, and of course, this broke my dad's heart, but what is he going to do? Well, he came up with a plan. We went to California that year for our vacation. We were, uh, this was 1989. We were in California and we're on vacation. We go to Disneyland and we're going to Knott's Berry Farm. So he's really buttering us up for all this stuff. We're going to the beach. We're having a great time. And then one day he wakes us up and he says, hey, we're going to go somewhere really special today. So me and my sister are like, okay, yeah, cool. Where are we going? He's like, oh, you'll see when we get there. So we get in the car and we start to drive. And we end up at um, this school campus. And we get to this campus and we're kind of like, what are we doing here? Where are we going? And as we're driving in, we start seeing Cowboys flags and Cowboys banners. And we're in California, so we're not really figuring out. And all of a sudden, my dad turns and he goes, we're going to the Dallas Cowboys training camp. And I was like, well, okay, cool. You know, I like football. This will be all right. But what I didn't realize is how cool training camp was. See, at training camp, I got to be up close and personal with these football players. I remember we, we could get right up to him. I could go up and get their autographs. I remember going up to this guy. His name was Ed Tutal Jones, and, and he was six foot eight and this behemoth of a man. And, and I get his autograph, you know, and he gives me a high five, and my little hand just disappears into his hand. And then I, I met Herschel Walker, who had won the, the Heisman Trophy a few years earlier. And then I met, they, they drafted this rookie quarterback, and, and I met him. He ended up being this guy named Troy Aikman, and I got his autograph. And that whole day, we just got this access to the team. Like I had never experienced before. I got to watch him work out. I got to watch him train. I got to watch him go through the whole, the whole thing. And it was amazing. And, and, and I remember after we were leaving that day, something changed in me. There was something that had kind of taken place in my heart. And I, I remember that year as we'd watched the Cowboys, I, I didn't root against them anymore. I didn't necessarily root for them yet, but I wasn't rooting against them. And, and I remember we were, we were at home one day and, and a couple of years had gone by and I decided, you know what? It's time to commit. So I brought my dad in. I sat him down. I said, Dad, I got to tell you something. I'm 12 at this time. I got to tell you something. Listen, I've decided that I'm going to become a Cowboys fan. And my dad began to just weep uncontrollably. <laughs> not really. Um, I think we did like a guy hug thing and it was cool. But I could not have picked a better year. Because in 1992, the Cowboys went on that year 
to make it all the way to the NFC Championship. They played the San Francisco 49ers, won a classic game, and then they went on to beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl 52-17. And now I am completely hooked, right? The next year, they win the Super Bowl again. The next year, they lose their coach, and so they should have won it, but they didn't that year. That's a whole other story. But then the next year, they win it again, four, three, three Super Bowls in four years. And I was, I was totally into the moment. And, and no matter what has happened through the years, you know, because it, it's been a long time now. Right? This is year 20 without anything. And yet I'm still as committed as ever. I still love them. I cannot wait till 7 o'clock tonight when that music... Yes, it's going to be awesome. They play the Giants. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I'm going to be sitting there with my pigs in blanket and macaroni and cheese. And it's going to be on. Um, but you know what I discovered is, is that in our life, um, I think everybody wants to be able to attach themselves to something bigger than themselves. And, and, and I think that's one of the reasons we like sports so much. You know, sometimes in our life, our life may feel kind of mundane, kind of in ruts, kind of, you know, it's the same thing all the time. And we can find these different things that we can kind of connect with that are bigger than us, and they become a part of our story. Like my story now, when I talk about the Cowboys and I'm talking about, you know, the offensive line, I'm talking to one of my buddies, I'm like, yeah, you know, our offensive line and we need to do this. And I think Jerry Jones should, you know, as I talk, it's, it's our, it's we, I've taken ownership of it. And the reason that happened for me is because I had a real encounter with the team. See, no longer was, was the Dallas Cowboys my dad's team that he was trying to get me to inherit, that I was watching through a tube TV. Now they were... They were my team. I had a story with the Dallas Cowboys. And so they became a part of my story, my life, and they're still a part of that to this day. And I think there's something in each and every one of us that, that desires that, that desires to, to be in something, a story, to be a part of something that is, that is bigger than ourselves. We love seeing ourselves in a bigger story. You know, I have three little kids. I have a, a little boy named Gus, and he is seven years old. I have a little girl. Her name is Bo. And she's four. And I have another little girl named Sunny. And she is one and a half if you're a guy. And like 19, 20, whatever months it is if you're a girl. And I love my kids, obviously. It's why I keep having them. That and because of my beautiful wife. But that's another story. But I love my kids. I love spending time with them. I love hanging out with them. We love to play with them. And one of the things that we love to do with our kids is we love to tell them stories. And so every night we sit down with our kids and we, we go through different books with them. You know, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom and The Very Hungry Caterpillar and, and, and Good Night Moon and different books. And with each one of my kids, my, my little baby, she loves Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. She loves to read that book. And so we read these books to them. But then we'll also read them some spiritual books. Some, we'll read uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which if you have kids, you have to own that Bible. It's incredible. Um, we'll read from, my son has a VeggieTales Bible. We'll read from that. My daughter has a princess Bible. We'll read from that. And we tell them these, these stories out of this book. But another thing that we'll do from time to time is we'll actually tell them stories. Like, I'll just shoot from the hip, make up a story. And to be honest with you, I think this is their favorite thing that I do, is when I tell them a story like that. Because when I tell them those kind of stories, one of the things I do is I put them into the story. I write them into the story as a main character in the story. And, I, and I, you can see it as I start to tell this to my kids. You can see them just come alive with it. They just get so excited. And, and I believe that the reason they do is because they know how the story is going to end. 
They know that their author dad, as he writes this story in their life, they know that at the end of the story, they're going to stand in a place of victory and they're going to live happily ever after. And here's what I believe for you today. I believe that in the story of this world, in God's story, that he has a role for you. And he wants you to step into and wants you to be a part of. And I also believe this. I believe that in the, in the role that he has for you is everything you could ever want in this world. It's the life that you want. It's the joy that you want. It's not always going to be perfect, but I can tell you this. At the end, you live happily ever after. So if this is the case, if there is a story that God has for us, how do we step into the story? How do we understand the story and move into the story of God? Well, I've got, I've got five points for you this morning. And I know I say five points and you're going, whoa, wait, how long is this going to be? I'm sitting in a metal chair right now. It won't be long. And I understand the metal chair. And trust me, we're going to buy some new chairs as soon as we can. But I got five points for you. They're simple, they're quick, and they're easy. And I think they'll help you understand the story a little bit better. So back to Genesis 1. Let me tell you the first point here. Genesis 1, you need to understand this. In this story, God is the author. God is the author of, of the story. Now, you think about any book that you've ever read in your life. Someone had to author that book. No matter what kind of book it is, somebody had to sit down and they had to decide what the book was going to be about. If it's a fictional book, they had to create the, the setting for the book. They had to create the characters for the book. They had to put it all together. They had to create the storyline and where things were going to go and how things were going to work. And that's what the author does. Well, in the same way, God is the author of the story that we live in today. Genesis 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 4.11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things... For thy pleasure, and they are, and, and for thy pleasure they were all created. Colossians 1 verse 16 says this, For by him, talking about God, all things were created through him and for him. So we see in these verses, and we see this all throughout Scripture, that God was the creator. We don't believe in a world that just kind of happened. We believe that God spoke this world into existence. He created the heavens and the earth. Everything we see, God made it. He, he knit it all together, including you and me. He made it all. And he's the one that set this story into motion. He's the one that created the setting for the story and where, how things are going to go. And, and here's the cool thing about the story of God. God chose to make me and you important principal characters in the story of God. In fact, that's point number two. Point number one, God is the author. Point number two, we are principal characters in the story of God. Back to Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning... God created. Now stop right there. Why did God create? I mean, we read earlier it was for his pleasure. It was, it, everything was created for him and by him. But, but what, was the, what was the idea? What was the heart behind God creating this world? Well, I, I think we, we see it in Ephesians 1 verse 5. It says this, his, now it's talking about God when it says his here, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to read this from the message translation because I love the way it says it too. Again, uh, Ephesians 1 verse 5. Long before he laid down the earth's foundation. So before anything was ever here on this earth, before it was created, long before that it says, he had us, talking about me and you, he had us in mind. That's awesome, isn't it? He had settled on us 
as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love, long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. God created because he wanted a family. God created me and you, and he created this world because he wanted to create a people that he could love and that could love him back. And in order for him to do this, he had to create people that would have a free will and that would have a choice. Because see, if there's no choice, there's no free will, and then we either live by instincts or we live as robots. So there had to be a choice. So God set these people in the beginning, Adam and Eve, into this garden, and he lays in front of them all these options that are really good, and then there's one option that he asks them not to do. Don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. If you do, you will surely die. So before them is life and death, blessing and cursing. And we see that they decide to not believe God, but they decide to believe a lie. And they go to the the tree and they sin and sin enters into the world. And now this family of God becomes a dysfunctional family. Now here's what's interesting. In order for there to be a lie that was believed, there had to be a liar. And that's point number three. There is another author in the story. And it's a bad guy. And his name is Satan or the devil. And let me just tell you, he's real. (laughs) This isn't some fictional idea that moms and dads come up with to try to get their kids to obey or go to sleep at night. No, there really is a devil. And John 10 10 tells us he has come to steal kill and to destroy, that the goal of his life is to harm you and hurt you and obliterate you from this world. Why? Because he hates you? Yes, but because he hates God. That's why he comes after you. But here's the deal. He can't touch God. He can't do anything to God. Understand this. God and the devil are not an even match. God is way more powerful than the enemy. Way more. So the devil can't do anything. He can't touch God. He can't hurt or harm God. So what does he do? He gets at God by going after what God loves the most. He attacks the thing that God cares about more than anything, which is his children, me and you. And he goes after them with everything he can. I was thinking about this this week, and if you're probably like me, I've been to a playground before with my kids, you know, and especially when they're little, they're playing, and I'll have my little baby girl there, and she's playing, you know, trying to do stuff, and there'll be some bigger kids at the playground. And those bigger kids, you know, they don't necessarily mean to, but they just aren't paying attention, and they come banging into her and hurt her. And I'm watching this as her father who loves her, and I'm watching her get kind of bullied by someone bigger than her, and, you know, I'm ready to run over there and punt that other kid, right? Come on, be honest. I mean, we're there. It happens. You see somebody abusing your child. It hurts me. And, you know, because why? Because I'm a good father. But understand this. My love for my kids pales in comparison to the love that God has for you. You think he likes watching us get bullied on this earth? You think he likes watching the enemy come and attack us and throw things at us and us getting beat up by those things, especially when he knows it doesn't have to be that way? Because it doesn't have to be that way. Because point number four is this. There's a hero in our story. There's a good guy, and his name is Jesus. And in Genesis, after Adam and Eve fell, after sin entered the earth, the story of the Bible, the story of Scripture, became a story of redemption. 
And everything in the Bible would point to one person who would come, to one Messiah, one Savior who would come and make a way for all. Because listen, the sin problem, we couldn't fix. It was too messy for us. It was too big for us. And the Old Testament proves that over and over again. We see God giving us these Ten Commandments, these ten things that we're to live by. And we see over and over again that people within Scripture fail and fall and can't do it. Why? Because we couldn't play the role of Superman. You know, if I was to come up to you right now and say, hey, I need you to do something for me. I need you to be Superman. I need you to be able to, you know, run faster than a speeding bullet. I need you to leap tall buildings in a single bound, be more powerful than a locomotive. Can you do that for me? You would look at me and say, no, right? I don't have the ability. That's not in me to do that. And in the same way, living in this world without the power of God, without the Superman, is an impossible task. And some of you, you find yourself messing up all the time. You find yourself sinning and screwing up and you just can't figure out what the deal is. You find yourself letting people down. You find yourself continually disappointing yourself and others. And I believe part of the reason for that is because you haven't encountered Jesus, the hero of the story. See, Jesus wants to come and he wants to, he wants to be a part of your life. See, the story of God is not a distant God who set a bunch of rules in place to a bunch of ancient people. But the story of Scripture is a story of a God who came down to this earth to save us from our sin, to make a way when there was no other way to save the day. But in order for us to be saved, we have to make a choice. We have to choose to make God the author of our story. We have to choose to invite him to be the writer of where this story is going to go. Point number five is this. We can make that choice and we can make it with ease because God is a good author. You know, when my kids sit down with me and I begin to read them a story, I, I, you literally, or I get to tell them a story that I've, I've written that has them as the main characters in it, I, I watch my kids start to just get excited, almost giddy in bed. And you know, when I tell these stories, I, I like to kind of have ups and downs in them. There's, there's highs and there's lows. There's, there's good moments and there's bad moments. But you know what my kids know? They know at the end, no matter what, that they're going to be in a place of victory. They know that at the end of the story that they're going to be on the platform winning and that it will be a happily ever after story. You see, the role that God has for you is a role that will lead to a happily ever after. It's a good role. God wants to come into your life and he wants to save you and he wants to help you but you have to know the author you have to know the author and understand what he wants to do with you and for you a few years ago me and my wife Sarah faced a chapter in the story of our life that was extremely hard and rather than me tell it to you I'll, I'll let her tell it to you watch the screens On July 3rd, 2012, my husband Josh and I and our two kids went to my 20-week checkup to find out if we were going to be having another boy or another girl. There's all this anticipation in the room. My husband's got the camera ready to record. Um, we wanted to get our kids' reaction because, of course, my son wanted a boy. My daughter wanted a sister. And so there's just all this anticipation. And as the doctor is 
is telling us about his 4th of July plans, he suddenly trails off. And when he trailed off, I knew immediately that something was wrong. What was he seeing? Why did he get so quiet so quick? He said, I'm sorry to tell you this, guys, but... But the baby's heart's no longer beating. I had never been so upset, so hurt, so broken, so mad. My next thought was, what happens next? Um, what what happens with this baby, this little life that's inside of me? I can see his little face on the on the ultrasound screen. And that's when they told us that we'd have to deliver stillborn, having to go through the actual process of labor and delivery, contractions the whole nine yards so that we could deliver a lifeless child. I was just mad. I just found myself really upset, really mad. I felt like the devil was winning and I decided I was gonna get out my phone and listen to praise and worship. The first song that played was 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman. And I had sang that song before in the car, running errands, at church, cleaning my house. But this time it felt different because I really had to get honest in that moment and ask myself, can I praise God in the middle of my darkest hour? Can I praise God even when I don't feel like it? And I still remember it like yesterday, singing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, worship his holy name. And I literally sang like never before that night. I never before been so hurt, so confused, so sad. But as I began to sing, he came in and filled that room with his love like I'd never before felt his love. And he got me through that night. had been born, God gave me the idea to start a blog called 10K Reasons based on the song that we had sang that night in the hospital. Every day for 365 days, I would pour out my heart through a daily devotional. And then at the end of the devotional, I'd list 27 or 28 things until at the end of the year, I got to 10,000 reasons. My heart found 10,000 reasons proving God's goodness. God turned my sad story into a happy one. He healed my heart and in the process helped me minister to countless women who had lost babies and teach people the power of a thankful heart. God is a giver of new songs. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. I don't know where you may be today, but I know this. There's a real Jesus out there who loves you and who's for you and who wants to author the story of your life. 
I know for me, I know at one point in my life, I'd grown up in church, I knew all about God, but I had never really surrendered my life to Jesus. As a kid, I had made Jesus the savior of my life because I didn't want to go to hell, but I had never really gone to him and said, Lord, I I want you to be your way, to be your will be done in me. And because of that, I found myself in my early 20s in a mess. My life was a complete mess. And on the outside, nobody, nobody knew. I, I was really good at faking it. I was working at a church. I was in a youth ministry where I was getting up and talking to 2,000, 3,000 kids. And yet I had this huge sin in my life that was dominating me. And I could not fix it. And I, I knew church, I knew all the Christian-y stuff. I was trying to work these principles of, of God to fix my problem. But the problem was I wasn't making God the Lord of my life. I wasn't really surrendering to his way. I wanted him to save me, but I didn't want to do it his way. See, it's kind of like this. I wanted God to be the editor of my story, not the author. Some of us are like that. We, we, want, we want to do things our way and say, God, you come in and bless this and just make this better. You, you can come make improvements on it. And then when he doesn't, we get mad at him and offended. How dare you, God, not fix my problems? But that's not how it works. See, God wants to be the Lord of your life. And the byproduct of him becoming your Lord is that he becomes your Savior. And I know this because I've lived it. At 23 years old, about to lose my beautiful wife, after losing my job, after losing a bunch of my friends, came to a place where I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I, I need your help. And I surrendered my life to Jesus in that moment. And Jesus came and he changed everything. He gave me a new song, a new story. I found Jesus was not a distant God, but he was a God who grabbed my hand and wants to walk with me through life. And he wants to do the same for you. And in him, I found peace, I found joy, I found fulfillment, I found everything. And we're here today planting this church in this city because it bothers me. It bothers me that people don't have it like I do. So if you're here today and you're tired of the way things are going and you want to make God the author of your story you want to live a life where you know it ends with happily ever after I want to give you that opportunity today we're for you as a church we're for you so if you would would you bow your heads and close your eyes I ask you to ask this question to yourself internally right now ask yourself what is God saying to me right now what is God saying to you in this moment? Maybe for some of you, he's saying, hey, quit faking it. Let's get real. Maybe for some of you, he's saying, that area that you haven't given to me, I want you to give me that. I want to carry that for you. Maybe there's, maybe you just know inside, I'm not right with God and I need to get this right. If that's you today, I don't want to embarrass you. That is the last thing I want to do. But I would love to pray with you. So here's what I ask. I ask with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you today, would you just raise up your hand where I can see it? Just put your hand up. I see hands going up. Awesome. 
Awesome. Hands going up all over the place. You can put your hand back down. If that's you, be bold. Put that hand up. Say, I want Jesus. If that's you, raise that hand up. Let me know. Okay. If you raise your hand, here's what I want you to do. The rest of you, we're all believers. We're in agreement with them. So we're going to pray this prayer together as a church in agreement with those who are praying it for the first time. Say, dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I acknowledge that I have sinned. I come to you right now confessing that and asking you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you rose from the dead and you are alive today. I open the door of my heart and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. I give you control of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to invite our altar ministry team to come forward at this time. At the end of New Song Services, uh, we want to have the opportunity to pray with you. So what's going to happen here in a moment is our band is going to go back into a song very quietly. And as they are, if you have any need of prayer in your life, we want to welcome you to come down here and meet one of these people and just pray with them. You know, at at New Song, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that we can come together with other believers and that our prayers become more powerful. The Bible says that one could put a thousand to flight, but two could put ten thousand to flight. What we see in that is there's a law in Scripture of multiplication that takes place when we are unified with others. So I want to encourage you. I know maybe you've grown up in church where coming forward to the altar means that, you know, you've got a really bad sin in your life and, or that you're, you know, a bad person or that you're getting saved. Let's just squash that right now. That's not the kind of church we are here. We're not going to judge you for coming down. Never be ashamed to come receive prayer. I need prayer. Listen, I, I had some really bad back pain this week. And you know what I did? I went to people that I know and I care about and I talked to them and they prayed with me. And I feel better today. And I want to encourage you, if you have a need of prayer, maybe, maybe something going on in your job, maybe something going on in the workplace, something going on with your marriage, it doesn't, listen, this is, a, this is a place that you can go with confidence that stays right here between you and the Lord. So I want to encourage you, as we sing this song, if you have any need of prayer, please come down and pray with us. Lord, I thank you right now for everyone. I ask that you draw every person who needs prayer to come today in Jesus' name.